Hi everyone, it's Naomi Sneakers and welcome to the firecracker department. Well, what a great week. What a great Canada Day. Canada Day. I feel like I'm adding too many dudes. Canada Day. Nope, that's right. Uh, what did you do? Where did you go? What did you do on Canada Day that was super Canadian? I was outside. I was outside in the Corthus, Ontario, and it is beautiful. Oh my gosh. It is so stunning out there. It makes me weep. It really does. And I know people say that all the time, but there's something that is so magical about this country. Uh, you know, just watching a lake wake up. You know, at like five or six o'clock in the morning when you see a lake and it's just still and then suddenly something happens and it just wakes up. It's just beautiful. Or in the fall in Canada when the um, colors start changing, you see the fall colors. Honestly, it makes me catches my breath every single time. So we had a great Canada Day. Had my uh, my pops and our friend Dove, and uh, we just you know had some burgers, cocktails, listened to some great music. Matt made a playlist of um, Ron Sexsmith and who else was on that? Bare Naked Ladies, Katie Lang, Joni Mitchell. Oh, some of my favorites. What was on your playlist this weekend? I'd love to add to mine. So pass on any kind of clips or videos. Yeah, post some videos of your favorite Canada Day videos. I'd love to see that. It was just all around great. Neighbors popped by. We um, we did some gardening, and uh, you know, raked some leaves. Anything that takes me away from the computer for a little while that feels great. You know, you sit and you rake some leaves. Well, you don't sit and rake leaves, but you sit and watch the lake, and then you rake some leaves, and it just makes sense. Makes sense to me. Love to hear about what you guys did, so pass on. Pass on any and all notes. And now we have our lovely, talented, beautiful, smart, passionate guest, Inga Cadrenel. Now you'll know Inga from shows like Lost Girl or uh, Jeff Limited or rent a or Orphan Black. She's been in some of my favorite shows and she's such a talent and she's so funny. I've known Inga forever. I've known her since she was Inga Bronstein when I was dating her brother. And now she's Inga Cadrenel and uh, I see her a little bit often when we're in Los Angeles and um, I just love her. I'm such a fan of hers. And she's one of those friends that no matter how much time goes by, we can sit down and have like a really in-depth discussion. And this discussion just happened to be recorded. So lucky you, because she really, she's really honest in this chat. And I think she's always an authentic person, but in this chat, she really, um, she's really revealing about her thoughts and her feelings. And, uh, you know, when I do this podcast, I ask folks to chat with me for an hour and we don't know what's going to come up, but I'm, I'm honored. I'm honored that people trust me and trust this podcast with their, um, their deepest thoughts. It's, it's a real treat. Now we did record this in Los Angeles and I am going to say it was Thursday, which would not make any difference to you guys. You're like, who gives a crap? Thursday Schmerz day. But it was a gardening day. So you're going to hear some leaf blowing and you're going to hear some... What else are you going to hear in this this version? Well, not anything to do with gardening, but there's a couple of helicopters and planes. But that's just the joy of on location. That's what you get. Uh, you might even get some dog whining if you're lucky. If you're super lucky. Uh, anyway, so that's what you hear. But you get brought into the world where we rent 
our guest house, and uh, it's lovely. So here we go, Inga Cadranel. a long time it's a really long time I was thinking about it on my way over here I was like I have known Naomi for oh my so God. long I love that yeah I do I love that we have that kind of longevity in our friendship but I also didn't ever doubt it yeah me too like I remember meeting you going oh yeah this is like yeah my sister now. you were family immediately yeah. for sure what was that, that like? That was like 17. This is what I remember from you at 17. <laughs> oh, God. I remember you had that place on um, Withrow, mm -hmm. and you had the upstairs. Yeah. Um, let's turn that right off. Uh, was it me, by the, the way? Yeah, me. Um, you had the upstairs, like, den. Yeah. That, like, nobody... Nobody went, went up. up there. It was, like, it was like this, like, cavern of teen. Yeah. That, like, all my friends would, like, slink upstairs. Yeah. And my parents I just see this, like, train of people train of going people. upstairs. Going, yeah. And I'd be like, Paul, who are those people? <laughs> and he'd be like, oh, those are Angus friends. Yeah. yeah. My sister's friends. Because that house was wild. Like, mm -hmm. I, you know, like, I came from a different type of house. But yeah. I remember, like, thing, things like... I just see like rings lying around or money lying yeah, around. Yeah, like, that, that was my parents. On? They were so trusting. It was a rooming house before, so it was yeah in oh. the olden days. <laughs> yeah, in the old Victorian. It was a rooming house, so it had all these sections and like that. hallways and stuff that separated. And when my parents first got it, the second floor had a full kitchen and everything. That they really? Tore out. Yeah, yeah. But my parents were also really trusting. Yes, left everything out, and it, it was such a shitty idea later because so many times they got robbed and things told yeah by it was my fault <laughs> my, my friends my teen friends saw stuff hanging around they would just pocket it yeah i know teens are the worst worst oh we, we were all the worst we were so bad what do you what do you remember from that time in your life like what's what was hmm. the turning point because you weren't always going to become an actress no and back then i had no intentions of becoming an actress like the opposite. actually the opposite yeah my yeah. brother and i both had that feeling he just at that time had already decided to go for it but growing up paul and i thought my brother paul bronstein amazing actor <laughs> um we said we're never going to become actors because both our parents were actors right and we had such a weird relationship with actors and mind you they you know they're mostly theater actors but there was a lot of partying at our house yeah. growing up and a lot of actors have huge personalities and they're really in your face and when they get drunk and high they are really in your face as a kid mm -hmm. and we didn't totally dig it all the time sometimes it was fine if I wanted money and everyone was like yeah sure and I just go up to them when they were wasted and they'd all be handing me stuff or whatever and we had a lot of freedom because of that too we weren't totally parented the same way other kids were but um but Paul and I were like oh actors are the worst yeah they're so obnoxious they're so unreal they're not they're fake and all this stuff growing up as kids sometimes we were like oh but then there was this huge turning point not when I was a teenager when I met you I was not even close to that yet. no no, no, because you'd grown up watching like Maya and Jeff on stage yeah. and going to set and everything. So it was yeah. just like it was common. like a job. Yeah. And I still kind of feel like that to some extent. I feel like, you know, we never had rose tinted glasses right. of, you know, big Hollywood dreams. Like it was right. very much like work. This is what right, people but your do parents for work. Were successful. Yes. Like you saw the success from their hard work. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But it was it was I guess it was just so normal. Yeah. It seemed like such a just a job like any other parent had a job yeah and I remember telling people what my parents did when they'd ask and they'd all be so fascinated and I didn't get that yeah. I was like what they're just working yeah Maya has that great story about 
when she had a show and you brought all your stuffed animals to yeah. fill the audience? Yeah, her? she had a one-woman show at yeah. Theater Pass Marai. And it was a very, very dark, edgy show with, like, sexuality and, and murder. And it was horribly, like, graphic. And it was a one-woman show. And I think I was about, um, I think I was just a little bit older than my daughter is now. I was, like, seven or six. And my mom wasn't getting audiences. And I went there once to see it. My parents didn't censor me from kind of anything. Yeah. And so I saw it and then I said, can I come back the next night? And my mom was surprised because it was about, I think there was a child, uh, her murdering her child or something in it too. It was really, really awful. Dark. And dark. And, and I, she said, okay, so I think it's time to go. And I came, you know, walking down the stairs of our apartment. We didn't have the Withrow house at the time. We were in a, our co-op right. housing and I had garbage bags and she said, what's in your garbage bags? I said, um, you know, my toys. And she's like, okay, whatever. Get in the car. She didn't have any idea what I was going to do. Puts the garbage bags in because she's a good mom. And we get there and she goes back uh, to, to get ready for a half hour call. And, and she said, she tells me this story. And she stepped out on stage and I had filled the audience with stuffed animals. All the seats full of my toys. And I sat in the middle of them. And she said there was about, you know, a handful of people that were actually there who bought tickets. And I had taken all the best seats in the front three rows. And they, they had to sit behind my stuffed animals. And nobody complained. Oh and no one said, hey, you know, do you think we can move this so we could get the better seats? But no, they sat there and no. watched the show. My mom said she stepped out. And it was so hard for her to keep it together to not start yeah. crying. And do you remember that? I remember it vividly. Oh, my god! It's one of those ones that I was like stuck in my head. I don't know if it's because people have told me it so many times because it was like a very known kind of story among theater people but I feel like I, I do remember sitting there with the stuffed toys. Yeah. And you know those things when you're a kid you're like do I remember it because my right. parents keep telling me it and yes. they love that story or am I really remembering it? I think I'm remembering it. It was also like a really cool bonding moment for you and your mom probably too. Yeah, right? it was. Like it your, was. your parents were busy as actors, right? So it We was, were alone a lot. Yeah, how was that for you a and Paul? A lot. I think that's where I got my love of my imagination. Mm. I was like the total beast of the Southern Wild little girl, mm -hmm. like Hush Puppy from that movie. I was in <laughs> gumboots, dirty stained shirt, and like I stunk. Right. My mom would always say, you playing in mud all day? You smell like a wet puppy. Yep. And I would just go and like <laughs> pass there and go in the fridge and get my own food and stuff from since I can remember. And, and we lived in a co-op housing, people with subsidized uh, housing when I grew up um, low-income families or people that were on government assistance and and we were alone all the time and my parents were always away yeah. rehearsing or performing at night and uh it and I just would pretend I was in all these other worlds all the time and my imagination became very huge and colorful and I was always walking around with like you know my gumboots with a stick or something yeah walking around the streets wandering around our co-op you know pretending I was flying on a dragon right. or a big giant dog or a tiger or something and 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 that's definitely where my creativity and imagination grew from so although as a kid I remember having fears because of it we I felt lonely at times yeah um, and confused because kids don't know. I'd knock on my door after school and no one would be there. Right. Um, and so I'd wander around <laughs> until someone was like, oh, you're supposed to come over to our house. Right. A neighbor or something and a bunch of hippies. <laughs> right. <laughs> they totally didn't care. But confusing for a kid. But I was confused. Yeah. yeah. And we were latchkey kids. We had this shoelace around our necks with our, with our house keys on. Yeah. Them, Paul and I both. 
So, yeah, it was definitely a different way to be raised. It wasn't this traditional family, mm-hmm. um, but it gave me all these tools. At the time, I mean, as a youngster, as a teen, I did not appreciate it, and I resented my parents for it for many, right. many years. Yeah. And, and For leaving you alone. Yeah, and not for leaving us alone it, yeah. and not having more stability and, and structure. Yeah. But as I got older, I started to look at, which is the way, you know, with anything in life, the benefits. Right. I was so malleable. Like I could walk into any place or situation. I felt like I could adjust quickly and easily. I felt comfortable anywhere I went because I already had this self-confidence of knowing how to take care of myself very young. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think it helped with my work. It helped with relationships. I had to find a, an inner strength quicker than I think a lot of kids had to. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So, like, what, what did you turn to at that time? Like, to... Friends. Yeah. Oh, packs of them. Yeah, you... Because we were in the co-op, too. That's, like, you know, a, there are children everywhere. Little scruffy kids yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So we'd be in these packs, of, like, running around with, like, baseball bats and sticks. Gangs, basically. Smashing, yeah, sure. Smashing stuff around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it became my teen friends, which you saw. I was yeah. like, had a you very had active a social life. Yeah, yeah, always had a pack, and they became so important to me, fiercely important to me. And um, and a couple of them actually became foster kids in our house. Like Bobby yeah. was my parents um, became foster parents, so she could she came from a broken home, and all that stuff was so important to me that I would go to my parents and say, "Listen, my friend here is being abused at home. Yeah, what can we do?" And my parents were really open to amazing to to doing that and and being a part of that too which was really cool but but yeah friends were everything it got me into trouble later when I realized it's the thing I tell my kids all the time I'm like your your friends aren't everything you can't you can't do what they do just because they're doing it and then I think back on how I felt they were my family a lot and yeah but you know you got to pick the right friends and sometimes some of my friends were um how do you say the wrong side of the tracks. Well, why did you choose them? Like, what was it about that it was quality? Exciting. It's exciting. It was exciting. It's a, it's an age old story. Like, it's just like it was ex- right. But it I felt remember, powerful. Yeah, I remember meeting exciting quote unquote uh, people. That yeah. I remember this one girl was like, "We should go downtown and do drugs," and I was like. <laughs> maybe 13 it was like oh my god I'm heading the wrong way like immediately I knew it so there was something about your level of like I want to go further and me going I gotta call the police yeah (laughs) and I don't know I don't know I think it probably did have to do with the 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 hippie kind of structureless wild Mm -hmm. bringing maybe some of that translated into me feeling comfortable around those people who were like edgier yeah bad I guess like and that was through your teen years yeah but you know what I don't know because my brother never did that you know Paul was like he liked having fun yeah but he never went the the way I did because he kind of got into martial arts yes and I think that was a different like I think that made him focus his energy or focus his health too yeah that you drumming and drumming was a big thing yeah and I was very like like, looking for something yeah I didn't have a path I definitely didn't have a have like a driver vision for anything well, when did you start getting into nice playing? Never holding, yeah. holding, holding for playing. <laughs> um, when did you start getting into music? Because that was before you thought about being an actor, right? You were yeah. going to be in music. Yeah, I think. And was well, that early teens? Yeah, like my brother and I always were musical. Right, we played music together. Yeah, and then he got this band, 
And then Battle he, star? no, different band. Oh. Remember that guy, Akeem? Yes. Him. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know his last oh. name. So he had a band, and then Paul asked me if I would come and sing backups. Right. So I was like, sure. And, you know. <laughs> Whatever. How old are you? You see me just regress to myself. I know. Sure. <laughs> the way I, that's exactly what I would have thought back then. Instead uh, of just like that. And then, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So I went and did it. But it wasn't my music, really. Right. But it was fun enough that it got me to do something. How old were you? 19. Okay. And then, um, and then Paul was like, we got to start our own band, man. Well, he told me a story, I remember, when we were also... Oh, your brother Paul and yeah, I yeah. were uh, oh, yeah. we dated yeah. for a while, yeah, and um, he told me how like one day he heard somebody drumming in the basement at Withrow, and he was like, "Holy crap! Somebody's like just, just amazing!" And he went down, and it was you, and he mm-hmm. didn't even know you knew how to drum. Yeah, because he was a drummer. Yeah, so I would just listen to him drum, and I would listen just to him do his drills, like right, the, tap, 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 the annoying shit when you have like a person learning an instrument stuff. And it's the drums. And it's yeah. the drums, yeah. and it's so loud. So yeah. I remember as he was doing his, like, little drills and, like, uh, um, patterns for practice, I would do them in my head, too. While he was doing it, I would right. do it upstairs a little bit in my so room. Adorable. I know. Yeah. He's my older brother, and I thought he was so cool. Yeah. I found out later he's not. So not. So oh, not my God. Cool. Big mistake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Big mistake. No mistake. No mistake. My mistake. Um, but now, so you, that's when you were like, I'm going to go into music. Yeah. I love it. And yeah. you kind of went into like the punk world of music. You know, I felt there was this freedom there. The funny thing was I wasn't into, I didn't grow up listening to that music. No. Like most of my friends, um, we all listened to hip hop and Bob Marley mm-hmm. and reggae, dance hall, everything. But, and the... The thing, like, I loved all genres of music. I grew up with someone. I just liked good music. Yeah. Shit music in any genre, they have it. Right. Good music in every genre, they have it too. So yeah. So I just loved the, you know, good songs no matter where they came from. So I was influenced. I had by everything. But then it came time to, like, us, you know, make a band. My brother was definitely more into, like, the rock and roll stuff. And yeah. that kind of side of everything. And, and then we just got some other guys that were going to play with us and they were into punk and I just started to feel the freedom of it more yeah. and the, the there was no judgment from and that I, group like yes, of, yeah from okay. that group of people and the music and what it did and the and the like release and how fun it was to be a part of a scene that was like so open minded and kind of just do whatever you want. And because of like my influences and like growing up with hip hop and stuff, it wasn't like three chord punk. It had like a little more of a, a, a of a, a different sound to it. Kind of more like the Rage Against the Machine stuff, right. like mix with um, some funk and stuff too. But I just found it so freeing that I got sucked right into it. And yeah, because it's it a whole so world, much. right? A whole other world. Yeah. And everybody was so awesome. And it's so funny that, like, I'd have my old friends come see shows, and they were terrified. Yeah. And they were, like, these thugs. Like, a few of them had, like, guns in their belts. These, like, hip-hop guys, oh friends God. of mine. I'd be like, what are you guys scared of? You're scared to walk in here because everyone's sporting mohawks and stuff. And right. they were like, just, it's, it's different. And I'd, you know, like, just come and watch us play. And they'd love it. And everyone would be so welcoming. Yeah. And they were like, holy shit, I totally got this scene wrong. Right. I was judging it, too. And then yeah. some of my friends ended up, you know, kind of getting into it and becoming part of it, too. And um, But that also is part of, like, the the group, like, your gang that you would yeah. hang around with, too. Yeah. And that kind of, like, did, did you feel like that 
challenged your track having that group or no. did it help you? It helped me so much. So much. Because you wanted to go into music. That was it. Yeah. Like you just decided that. Yeah. I had right. just kind of decided that's where I felt like I was the strongest and most powerful and in right. charge of myself. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, but I didn't have, get any money from it. Right. Right. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I need to make a living. Yeah. Get an apartment and stuff. Yeah. So, um, didn't, I didn't. Like, we didn't go after it to, to be wildly successful in, like, a commercial right. way. Had we had someone in our band, you kind of always need one guy who's got that drive, yeah. and he kind of brings everyone and does all the stuff and makes those cold calls to, mm-hmm. like, record people and yeah. labels. None of us were like that. Yeah. We were all playing for fun. Right. But we loved it so much. And then, like, and then the acting stuff kind of came with that on right. top of it. And I was like, oh, I can make a really good living. But were you acting just by chance? Like, did you have an agent and... It's, yeah. I just fell into it. So I might as well do this on the side kind of thing. Well, for I did go to theater school for eight months. Right. You were at uh, Studio 54, right? And 58. No, Studio sorry. The 54 was a couple years. Other, <laughs> it's a whole other deal. I wish Studio I was at Studio 54. Did you see how oh, slowly I said that? You were yes. at Studio 50 and I was like, four, Seven, eight, eight, four. Uh, in Vancouver. Yeah. And um, I did that really kind of in retrospect. You know, now I can talk about it because my parents, like, I'm older now. Yeah. And I've got no. kids in life. But my, I kind of did it to appease my parents. Right. They were worried about me. They're like, you have no path. You have no direction. So I'm like, ah, I'll go to theater school. Right. And they're like, oh, thank God. Right. Right. Oh, my gosh. She's she's falling in her footsteps. Thank God. We've been waiting for you to say you're going to become an actor. So I was like, okay, they're off my back now. Because you were a little off track before that. I was very off track. Yeah. As far as, like, I was partying hard. I was doing a lot of drugs. Yeah. I was um, off track. Was, yeah. And, and Could you feel that? Yeah. Like, could you feel like this isn't the route I want? Or were you just sort of swept up into it? I was swept up into it. I knew that it wasn't going to be my life forever, yeah. deep down. Even though to the outside and my friends and family who were really worried about me, yeah. they it, it, it looked horrible. Yeah. And scary. I remember being worried about you. Yeah. yeah. Everyone was worried about me. And I knew you know that I came from a place of love and there's love in my family that I would get there one day I knew that one day I would come back to that I just wasn't ready Mm -hmm. I needed to go on this full journey to to experience as much as I could I I did and went and was in so many bizarre situations back then when I was like um addicted to drugs and stuff and yeah um you're done with that now oh my god yeah 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 it's like the best thing ever yeah to be done with that i stopped when i was 28 wow um but i uh yeah so so was there i went to theater school was there for a, a bit but instant that, that you're like i got a this is yes very clear instance yes i got pregnant with my son right that'll change everything <laughs> yeah it's pretty clear Oh, yeah. took the, the test, and I was like, oh, okay, so that life's over. That's right. Yeah. Thank God, because Thank some God. people don't. Mm-hmm. Some people, maybe they will during the pregnancy, and then they go back to it. But yeah. no, I made a very strong and clear decision in that moment that that part of my life was done. Yeah. This is the new chapter in the new me. Huh. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that must have been a wild, that must have been like a morning, too. Oh, the, the, yeah, it was, I lost a lot of friends. Yeah. A lot of people that I thought were like, you know, loves of my life, mm-hmm. friends, and it's funny how people can react to having kids. It's it's a lot of people will take it personally. Like I had friends, they felt like I'd like left them behind, right. or maybe you know they For had, another man. Yes. Yeah, my son. <laughs> yeah, my son. They had dreams of me like what keeping them as like as like you know adult baby people friends. Like, right. I don't know what they were thinking, and you think people would be happy for you. 
but even the getting clean and not doing drugs anymore shocked me at how many people were like, oh, like, fuck, you're, you're leaving us. Yeah. You're gone and, and you're not coming back. And people were mad. Yeah. And, you know, you go, okay, maybe those aren't your real friends. But at the same time, you go, maybe they were, but they have their own struggles and it just shines a light on things they don't want to see and mm. they're not ready to see. And you just love them and hope them, they wish them well and hopefully they come back into your life one day. And now, here I am at 40, there are a couple of them who've gotten clean as of last year and like loves of my life friends who have come back into my life. Interesting. Yeah. It's been pretty special yeah. and magical. Yeah. But you must have missed, like, did you slip at all? Because just having a... No. Like, did you slip and go, oh, I need to get back? Because that was your family. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, I, once I got pregnant, I was the happiest I'd ever been. Right. Like, I, I was euphoric. And I finally found my first taste of real inner peace mm. for the first time. For the first time, I had, like, a good sleep. Like, it was this weird thing that... I'd wake up and I'd forget that I was pregnant and not high. And I'd be like, and it'd take me a second to wait for me to feel sick. And I'd go, oh my God, I don't feel sick. I feel amazing. And I slept deeper than I ever have. And I was calm and I was happy. Holy smokes. Mm. <laughs> and um, like my son's 11 now. And to this day, I look at him with such gratitude because he changed my life. And I tell him that all the time. I said, I know, you know, you'll, you'll hear it the way you hear it as a kid, but you changed my life. Yeah. You saved my life. Yeah. And, you know, it's not the same with the second one because I was already in that pattern, but he, that's what, you know, he wears that crown for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really, really special. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel very, very lucky. Because, and he, you were working through that. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the other thing is that your your career took off. Yeah. When I mean, you I got, got happy. I did. I remember seeing you at one point going, something's weird. <laughs> You're on smiling. Your face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you know how many people used to say that to me? Yeah. Because I remember seeing you still have that, like, scowl. scowl. And then I was totally. like, did you do your hair? Do you? Oh, no, you're happy. I know. I got that from so many people. Yeah. And I didn't realize at the time, you know, that yeah. I was putting that out. Yeah. Because I did, I did Leap Years, a series before I had kids. And yeah. I was like, God, I remember going to Leap Years and feeling so sick from the night before. Because I was playing in my band, too. Yes. And, like, and I was trying yeah. to play at night. And after you play, then everyone would go and just get high and wasted. And, and then I'd have to shoot you know, picked up at 5am and that was my first series was leap years. And, um, and then I started the 11th hour and I hadn't had Ryder yet. I got pregnant with Ryder in season three and, and I, the massive transformation from that actress to the one after was, it's unreal. Yeah. Unbelievable. Like I, and I, and I learned so many lessons, mm -hmm. at least I had a before and after. Like I think about what if I never did, like, I, I think about the mistakes. Can't, I, I don't like saying mistakes because I don't believe there is ever a mistake. Yeah, it's all a, a lesson. Yeah. But I think about the way I behaved during leap years and during the first two seasons of The Eleventh Hour. And while I met some, you know, people that I've still got as, like, best friends to this day and, and had a lot of love and goodness that came from the, that time, I do look back at my behavior and think about how immature I was and how I didn't appreciate what was happening around me mm -hmm. and also didn't I was self-absorbed I was being like a you know t a 20 something actress who got handed a couple series really quick and mm -hmm. a lot of money really quick 
without really trying. Like yeah. I had like a couple auditions before my first series that I got. Yeah. And the first one, Leap Years, was, you know, a big American series on Showtime. And I was like, meh. Mm-hmm. Like, I was so, so easy. Yeah. So blase about the whole deal. What'd you do with all your money? <sighs> I would take spending on my friends, yeah. partying. Yeah. You never know how many friends you have until you have a lot of money. Right. And all of a sudden, you've got a lot yeah. of friends. And yeah. you've got for a kid, that's a lot of money. money. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot of money. And I just, it was, it was the good old days, too. Before, like, now, like, when Leap Years gave me my first deal, like, there was no need to negotiate. I was like, duh. Yeah. My agent was like that, too. She was like, they offered you, oh, my God, this much right away. Yeah. It doesn't happen anymore no. without a fucking negotiation. But back then, they used to give you money hand over fist. Right. Like, it was it was incredible. So I was, like, insta-rich. Yeah. And so, you know, I had the whole entourage of people with me at all times. Yeah. And a couple of pit bulls. My right. dogs. Yes, come to literally. Set with me, yeah. literally. A couple yeah. of pit bulls. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't now, know. did you go right? Because at that time, you still were like, it's just acting. It's just like yeah. a little side job to pay for yeah. my band yes. habits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. So was there a tipping point that you were like, oh, no, this is actually what I'm supposed to be doing? After having Ryder and then all of a sudden seeing it differently, like I needed mm-hmm. money mm-hmm. because I have to support now yeah. a child and I had a family going, starting and oh my God, and we go buy a house and all that kind of stuff yeah. starting because before we just rented still. Um then, then I don't know if I was like, okay, this is, this is my passion at that time. But I, for the first time I felt like, oh, I, I need to do this. This is work, but I enjoy it. And this is what I would like to do now. Mm-hmm. I thought back when I had those other series before I had him, I thought mm, this might not be what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Like I still was kind of waiting for the real thing. But yeah, like you said, like if the band took off and all of a sudden we got signed and we were allowed to be like, okay, sayonara acting, yeah. I wouldn't have cared. Even though you were like, you had momentum and yes. you were booking things. And yeah. Yes. And like, was like, like, yeah, regular on, on, on shows and stuff. Like it was, like I said, I didn't, I didn't see it clearly at that time. Right. I didn't see what was happening really. Like, yeah, yeah people liked me, but then I was like. I don't know. I didn't. I I didn't see the potential of it. Right. And I yeah. did make make mistakes. Like I was moody. Right. And to develop a, like a reputation on set. Yeah, and I think I did without realizing at the time. And then you know everyone knew that I played in a punk band, right. and that also gave me a, a bit of a like um, an, a t- an image yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I. Had I, if I had to do it again, which again, I don't believe in mistakes, but if I had to do it again, I think I would be more generous and warm and kinder with the people that maybe I didn't like or thought weren't, weren't super smart to their job. Yeah. Like, I would let people know it. Like I was, I'm pretty frank. Yeah. And, and you know, when you get more mature, you realize you don't have to, you don't have to let everyone know if, you right. know, if what you think they're doing is... I'm not talking about it. It almost actors, felt like like that's like you sabotaging things. I think yeah, I absolutely believe I was I was also with my toughness fearful of what was happening. I was getting successful yeah. and being and what asked, would that mean to you? Well, I for the first time I, I felt like I was being judged. Oh. And I didn't like that feeling. Mm-hmm. I didn't like people picking at my face and my hair and telling me what to wear, and telling me maybe, like, even standing on set doing, like, tests, camera tests, which are normal now, I, you know, normal in my mind now, then I felt like they were judging me, 
and being harsh if they're like, oh, that doesn't look good. And oh God. And Mm -hmm. I felt embarrassed and that they were like saying I was ugly. Right. So personal. Yeah. Yeah. I took everything very personally and and I was sensitive and I'm still, I'm a sensitive person and I know that about myself. But back then my sensitivity would manifest as anger when I felt embarrassed. Right. Like a child. I was very immature with my emotions. Right. And so I think uh, that... How would you put that? How would you deal with the anger? How would it come out? I'd close off. Yeah. I'd close off and I'd get kind of cold yeah. and tight. And then, you know, now I know, like, people are going to interpret things the way they interpret them. They just thought, oh, what a bitch or whatever. Right. Like, not realizing I was going through something. Like, it was, it was and that not anyone's fault because I never expressed that I was. But that's what was happening inside. But because of that, when I'm on set now and after, you know, that show and feeling the lessons I learned on that show... I see young actresses going through that sometimes, mm. especially day players and um, guests and stuff come on and they're uncomfortable and they might be hating the wardrobe they got put in or their hair, but you know, they're not, they don't feel like they're in a position to say something and, and they get bitchy or cold, but I, and I can see that and I can recognize that and I always try to approach them and make them feel warm and welcome yeah. and it changes everything. It changes yeah. the momentum I'm of their still day. like that. They're like, put this on. I'm like, oh, doesn't really fit. Oh, well. Oh, well. What's wrong with what's, me? I know. I know. I don't do that anymore. Me neither. I finally like, but stood Only in the last it. couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> only in this last season. Yeah. Only next <laughs> time. Yeah. <laughs> I promise. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what that is. I don't But then either. you do. Then you become, as you said, like that tight feeling. I think that's a really clear feeling for me too of going, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not comfortable. Now I'm... And everyone around you feels it. Yeah, and then you can't perform. No. Like the worst. Yeah, and then you walk away going, oh, did I just ruin a day for myself or opportunities for other things to happen? Because I was wearing uncomfortable shoes. Yes, yes, (laughs) totally, I know. And we have to, it's a funny thing though. It's a fine line as a woman too. When I'm a lead on a show, I feel absolutely comfortable to say say Jeff Jeff or Rentagoli. Right. So comfortable to speak my mind about what I'm, mm-hmm. I'm feeling good in or not. And it makes all the world of, you know, difference when I'm acting. If I'm guesting on something or if I'm recurring on well, something. Well, something like Lost Girl. How was that? Lost Girl was a wonderful experience. And you know why? Because their lead, Anna Silk, made it so. Yeah. I've worked on so many shows with so many leads. And it really is a trickle-down effect. If yeah. someone sets a tone... For it's not only you know, everyone's always assuming it's just producers and stuff who set a tone of a show. No, no, your number one really can set the tone of what everyone else feels and what is okay on set to act. You know, like you know, hissy fits and tantrums. And if someone starts doing that, then other people feel like there's permission to do that. Mm-hmm. Hissy fits and tantrums are okay if they really mean something. If they're having it about something real, right? About the work, right? Otherwise, um, they also come when you're backed up into a corner. Absolutely, right. Absolutely, and I believe in not judging actors and actresses um, when you hear stories about those things from, you know, hair and makeup department and stuff, and I learned over the years, you know, don't wait till you meet that person, because you don't actually know what was happening that day. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, so something like Lost Girl. She's, Anna was amazing. She and was, Orphan Black's the same thing. Yeah, Orphan yeah. Black's the same thing. I mean, I had less to do with Tatiana directly, but I was more with Kevin Hanchard, mm-hmm. who... What a jerk that guy such is. A oh, jerk. what a handful. Oh, he's such a diva. I hope he got paid a, extra a to work Devo, with that guy. Right? A Not a diva. <laughs> <laughs> no. And Kevin was probably the... What a gem. Yeah. One of the best things that yeah. ever happened to me was, was working with Kevin. Yeah. And it's one of my life he's goals. He's so funny. To work with him again. He's yeah. hilarious. Like, like in the show, he has... Quirk, but he's such a funny, yeah. natural person. Like, and he and I just were like... Our characters were so serious. Mm-hmm. And he and I were so funny behind the mm-hmm. scenes. It was just like... 
jokes all the time to the yeah. point where we had to really like keep it down. Yeah. We like, <laughs> getting in trouble. We're getting in trouble. And people were like, thought we weren't taking it seriously, but we were, but we just loved hanging out together yeah. so much. It's the chemistry. It was the chemistry. Yeah. yeah. That was a gift, a real gift to be with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So you were in two huge shows. Like what was the, what was the process like for working on something like Lost Girls versus Orphan Black for you? Totally the different. Yeah. They're totally different genres. Like, Even what? though they're sci-fi, which is a very wide blanket yeah. to, to color something sci-fi. You do a lot of sci-fi. sci-fi. I have done. Who? What is that? I don't know. I don't Because I did The Strain and yeah. then Dark Matter and, and those two. And You're like a sci-fi gal. I, I don't know. I am. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe because I'm kind of weird? Sure. Or yeah, maybe you're like otherworldly and you, you're able to... But then you play yeah. like a detective. I know. So, so, so okay. I have no theories. But... Um, so, so what was it like? Well, Lost Girl, I felt, um, I don't like to use the word camp, but my character got to be, I got to play a character yeah. that was a lot bigger and more expressive. And at times it was like silly and I got to play her crazy because yeah. she was nuts. And then they'd give me these like crazy moments to switch into. And it was just a bigger character. Whereas Detective DeAngelis... I had to bring her to right down, right down yeah. to realism, as real as I could, to try to just kind of say the lines as if I was just saying them, as if Inga was saying them. Even right. though, you know, the content is really funny because with that character, everyone hated her so much because she's chasing their love of, you know, all the fans' lives as the lead, as Tat, right? Yeah. And, and DeAngelis is <laughs> so awful to her. Well, I mean, I played her with a genuine intent. She just wanted to know, but the fans... Hated you. Hate That's her. a hard club oh, to have hate. Yes, you. because they. Was that hard for you? Because you must have gotten social media. It was surprising at first because yeah. I always assume everyone knows we're just acting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really liked that. Like, there's a whole yeah. other world. Yeah. We had a great, great you have to do like a whole together. publicity stunt of like ha- hanging out with yeah, each other, yeah. and trying on funny hats <laughs> at the beach. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Uh, so there was a whole backlash. Hey? There was a bit of that. There were like. Uh, there was a lot of people that did, you know, they know it's acting, and I got yeah. so. It definitely was my biggest um, fan feedback show I've ever done, yeah. and had people like, you know, really responding and writing letters and, um, and and Twitter and stuff, which is kind of where I when I went on Twitter was right. because of that show. I joined. It says I joined ages ago, and I did for like a second, but I didn't understand it back in 2010. Yeah. <laughs> so I just left it, yeah. and then I was like, oh, I'm on Orphan Black now. I should probably check this out. I got on there, and I was like, holy shit, there's all this fandom happening I didn't know about. And then, and then, and then there was a couple of people, not as many as you'd think, but I was like, I, I was so naive. I didn't know. They're like, and you know, we all, D'Angelo's such a bitch. We all hate you, but we love you. And it's like, wait, what? What? Everybody thinks D'Angelo's is a bitch. Oh. I didn't know that. But yeah, I guess that makes total sense. But it's good though, because it's a compliment. It yeah, tells you're doing, you that your, you're job doing well. your job well. I know, but it's still hard. It's weird. Yeah. It is a weird feeling. Like, yeah. it's a weird feeling. Yeah. But whatever the lines I like, are blurred I like playing bad guys too I play a lot of bad guys you do which is funny because I'm so not like well, that yeah and something like Jeff Limited where mm-hmm. y- yeah like you had that too but you were so funny like I feel like people don't even know how funny you are yet. No, people, even my new agents here in L.A., they yeah. look at me a little bit like, mm-hmm, sure you are. When I'm yeah. like, don't forget to send me up for comedy. Yeah. They're like, okay, sweetheart. <laughs> okay, you are. Okay, good yeah. stuff. That's funny. Yeah. Because and you're like, here's my Canadian comedy award. I know, award. I do. Just put I that like on your desk. post that all the time. I'm like, <laughs> and my Canadian comedy award and come with me to audition. They're like, okay, enough with that. Fucking comedy award. <laughs> Just relax with that. Yeah. And they don't see All your that. headshots are now with the Canadian comedy award. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All my selfies. Yeah. Here I am again on the yeah. beach with my Canadian oh comedy my God, we award. We have to rent a table for one more, please. 
Uh, yeah, no, and it's like my favorite. Like, I know it's, but I, it almost comes so easily to you that it's the one thing I don't feel like I have to work at. Yeah, it's so bizarre, isn't it? Like I don't. Your husband's the same way. Like yes. Gabe, Gabe, I feel like that there's gonna be a moment where if somebody goes, "Oh my God, he's so effing funny," yeah, and. Yeah, like Gabe could other. be a Will Ferrell. Yeah. Like, yeah. easily. But yeah. people, again, they don't seem like that. Yeah. he's so damn good looking. Yeah, he's got too much Poor jaw. Guy. He's got too many muscles and <laughs> jawlines to be funny. I feel so sorry for him. <laughs> Do you guys ever work together? Just on rent and we weren't, like, really together together. <laughs> he played that fucking character, yeah. Lance the Boyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. like, just, a, like, an idiot. Yeah. And, um... My character would totally not have anything to do with a guy like that. Like, he's an idiot. But there was one scene, of course, Chris Bolton, the writer and lead of rent wrote a scene where Gabriel, he and I, had to be in a bed together, and he kisses Gabe and then kisses me. And, yeah, I was like, <laughs> come on, Chris. You're yeah. awful. And he's like, so the weirdest thing was me having to kiss Chris in front of Gabe. Yeah. And then watching he and Gabe kiss. Yeah. I don't know. You know what? He did that just to mess with us. Yeah. Because he thought it would be funny to see it. But otherwise, no. People tell us all the time that we're not believable as husband and wife. If we... Really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because you're just too... You're too gorgeous. Oh, as if. Yeah, you guys like... No, it's more... No, my God. What is it? I don't know. I think it's because he's more like traditionally TV... Good looking and on camera, I don't really look like traditionally. What? Yeah. But how oh would God. you guys wear it together? Do you think you'd get along or do you yeah. think it would be challenging? No, we would. We'd get along. Yeah. Yeah. Because you write together. Like we you write have together. ideas. And... Even on Rentical, like when we were doing the group scenes, it was so much fun. Like I couldn't handle, I couldn't look at him and I'd always like whisper to him lines to say. Yeah. Like, cause he, so he'd change it every take and he'd be like, give me another line. And I'd whisper him another funny line to say and... Um, and everyone thought Gabe was so funny, but it was really me. Excuse me? Because I was like... Punch-up queen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Um, it's like a whole... I, I don't want to not speak about your the other stuff that you're doing away from acting, because it feels like mm-hmm. like motherhood changed you so drastically and balanced mm-hmm. you out. But I remember like I remember you and I hanging out and you saying, like, I'm a really good mom. And I yeah. think you are. Like, I look at your kids and they're just so, like, mm-hmm. free... But not like wild child free. They're like focused and creative, yeah. and they're gonna be something incredible in this world. But then you're also doing like charity work with mm-hmm. is it Peace for Kids. Yeah, yeah. So how did that start? Did you like because you've been living in LA for how many years? Two and a half. And was there a time you're like, I gotta, I gotta do something? Yes. What happened? So moving to you know America, America, America uh, as you know, like you're here and back in Canada too. It's yeah. different. It's very different, and there's a lot of stuff going on. And um, I did join Peace for Kids before you know Agent Orange got into office, but uh, even bef- so, I was here, and I just felt like it's funny. I'd, I'd always I lived my whole life in Toronto, and I've never felt this yearning to volunteer. Mm-hmm. I've always been around always kids. Looked after people. I've always looked after people. Yeah. I've always reached out when I see someone struggling, and it's always been a huge um, importance for me to to be able to do that and to care because I have a lot of care to give, and I see a lot of people needing it. And I'm and I've always been. It's always been important to me to share that, and to, yeah. and and it means a lot. So I was here. Yes, I was away from family, friends. And was starting to make a community for myself, but it's slow when you move. I felt displaced. And I didn't know what it was, and I didn't know why, but I just got on the computer and I looked up volunteering. 
and being me, I wanted to volunteer and, you know, just try to find the most violent neighborhood in California. <laughs> so I looked up volunteering in Compton. Right. Because that's just what I do. And my friends don't even seem surprised at all. They're like, of course you did. Yeah. It's like, anyone when who knows I heard me? you were doing that, yeah. I was like, yeah, that's Yeah, of course she would. Yeah. She's not going to volunteer in like Echo Park or something. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Picking um, up trash in Echo Park. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the cute little vest. Yeah. <laughs> You'd look adorable. Thanks, Naomi. So would you. But um, I looked it up and there was all these different opportunities to volunteer there. But the one that spoke to me most had, you know, to do with children. I always um, felt a very deep connection with kids. Mm -hmm. I've always felt like I could speak to them um, and understand what they are feeling and going through. I've always been able to interpret that for some reason. What do you think that is? That's an amazing like magic skill. I I don't know and I and I but I know I have it because yeah. I've had it since I was little. Even when I lived back in the co-op and my friends had little brothers and sisters, I would just connect. Take them. Yeah. I would scoop him up, and my godson, who lives there now, he was a baby. I would wear him to high school in a baby Bjorn. My best friend had him when she was 16. She needed help. So I was mm-hmm. like, I'll take him. And I would take him to school, and the teachers got used to me having my Marcus. You remember Marcus? Mm-hmm, of course. In a baby Bjorn yeah. on me at 16 on the bus with my backpack, just because, yeah. trying to help. Um, so then I found this place in Compton that was um, foster children who uh, are from the area, Watts, Willowbrook, and Compton area. And at the Watts Boys and Girls Club, every Saturday, they have a program for these kids, foster kids between the ages of 4 and 18, and some beyond who have remained with the program to become volunteers themselves. These kids usually change homes about eight times Mm -hmm. in their entire lives. And I think about my own kids, and I think about my little daughter walking into a stranger's house with a suitcase and being terrified and not knowing what's going on or what they're going to be like or who she's walking into. And then also thinking about what happened to get them there. What type of neglect, abuse Mm -hmm. um, had happened to get them there. And I thought, you know, maybe I'll try this. I don't think I could handle it. It's going to be too Mm heart-wrenching. And I went to a meeting and immediately met very cool people who ran the organization. So I was like, okay, I'm digging this. And I started working there. And the children were the complete opposite of being heart-wrenching or making me sad or uncomfortable. Instead, I left feeling so inspired and so much more full watching them and what they had been through and how silly everything else that we all hold so dear to us and our work and our cars and our homes and everyone feels like such a huge dichotomy with like richness and and wealth and success and and how sad you can get from not having all those things you hope for and I look at these kids and what they've gone through and they're just dynamic beautiful fun happy welcoming and they fill me up every week and I've gotten really deep into the program and I feel close to them all now and the teen program. It's a lot of mentorship that goes on, which I feel really strongly about. And these, you know, it's, it's the little things too that you take for granted when you have a parent who teaches you how to pay your bills. It takes you to your driving test. When you're failing a subject, they get you a tutor or they, you know, sit down and do the homework with you. Most of these kids don't have that. So the people at Peace for Kids fill in all those spaces that parents would outside of the program too. So we do stuff outside of mm-hmm. this program all the time and are in connection with the teens regularly, you know, texting and calling and phone and yeah. support all throughout all the time. Like now that I'm more involved in the program, I'm a part of that part of it as well. And 
And I look forward to being there every Saturday. Everyone's always like, oh, you're so selfless. You feel so great. Oh, good for you for volunteering. And I'm like, nuh-uh. What they're giving me yeah. far outweighs, I feel like, what I, get, I give, give them. Yeah. It's, it's the most beautiful experience, um, aside from having my kids, yeah. that I've ever had. And I feel so fortunate, if nothing else, moving here to California, if I just got that and them. And it's funny because when Trump um, got elected, everyone said, are you moving back? Are you moving back? My kids asked me the same thing. Hmm. Are we moving home? And I thought immediately about those kids. Hmm. In, in Compton and they're here and everyone's here and they don't have a choice because they have not, you know, Canadian citizenship or whatever, just I'm going to leave and what's going to happen to the political climate here and how people's rights are being taken away so quickly and people are being treated immediately with this man taking over. I said, this is exactly the time where we don't leave. Right. This is exactly the time that they need people like us here. And I told my kids that. And I said, this is the time they need kids like you to grow up here with the kind of mentality, political thinking, and to be here, to be a part of this world, to hear these voices. Mm -hmm. We don't run away. We stay and we fight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It feels like you've, it's deepened everything that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Like, I want you to talk a little bit about the project you're working with, Cane Sugar, as well, Mm -hmm. because it feels like, like just knowing you and seeing like how your career and your life has been advancing, but like the work you're doing with the Compton kids and then that kind of spilled into the King well, Sugar you project. Know what's funny that happened before these guys and it didn't even, I didn't even realize it at the time how they paralleled yeah. each other yeah. until I was in it. Right. So yeah. Um, can you talk about this? Project? Yeah, I can okay. totally talk about it. Um, because I own the life rides. I ain't right. no bother taking it. No, but... Um, I don't even know. Like, the last time you spoke about it, you're like, I actually can't tell yeah. you about it. So now you have to tell I me everything. I can't talk about it now because we're all um, set to... Like, we're in, we're in a position where we can talk about it now. Yeah. So I was at home one day and I stumbled across these people online. They were just part of a TV show, like a, the show Drugs, Inc. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes, I was watching some reality TV. Yeah, okay? okay. At least it wasn't Top Model. No. Or, or Desperate Housewives. It was sure, Drugs Inc. It's sure. edgy. I know you're always <laughs> going in that direction. I know, right? I love it. So I wasn't watching the Kardashians. I was watching Drugs Inc. Yeah. And, um, but you were following the Kardashians online. Online. Yeah, at sure, the same sure. time in like a smaller <laughs> picture in picture on the same screen. Yes. No, but um, so... It was a New Year's Eve special in New York City about, you know, the drugs that happened in the city. And, you know, it's it's the showing the bad side of drugs. It wasn't like, <laughs> it's not like it makes it sound like it Guys, was like. aspirins make people feel better. So drugs aren't all bad. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm making it sound like it's a reality show about drugs and partying. It does. Yeah, yeah. it's not. Yeah. It's, it's showing the, the underbelly of it all, which has always intrigued me now that I'm away from it. Now I can look at the real, the real side of it. But, um. There was a, a volunteer ambulance corps mm-hmm. that was resuscitating someone on New Year's Eve, and they just struck me because they were all so dynamic, and they were all so, um, these big, larger-than-life characters, this ambulance corps, and they were all um, minority um, and diverse ambulance corps. There was, you know, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Our Canadian medical system is so different, I just found it fascinating. Mm. And I heard volunteer ambulance corps, that doesn't happen in Canada, I was just kind of curious. And then I saw them drive off in their ambulance that had like, you know, a tagging name on the side, the T-Wolf. And I was like, they're so cool. And I said, I said briefly to Gabe, I go, God, I want to see that on a medical show. I want to see a medical show about those people. Yeah. We've seen every other kind of medical show. I want to see like, who are they? So I just for fun was like Google searched them and all this information came up about them. 
they were fascinating. They had been around since 1988 when the crack epidemic was at its height, when Bedside Brooklyn was the most violent. Ambulances were afraid to come into the community and people were literally mm. dying in the streets. Wow. They were being shot daily and ambulances were not even coming in to save them. It was exactly, you know, the Black Lives Matter with it before there was a hashtag. They were like, let them die. We don't care. And so people within their own community said, enough of this. There are these two guys who worked for the FDNY as ambulance uh, drivers, EMTs. And they said, fuck it. Let's start our own ambulance service within our community that only services Bedside. Wow. Yeah. And they were, gonna, and they were the first all-minority ambulance service. And they changed their community one life at a time. They didn't have an ambulance, so they ran on their feet. Oh my God. They would put the packs on their backs and run to, to all the emergencies within Bed-Stuy. Slowly, they grew, got ambulances, and slowly, what they started doing was changing the lives of the people of their community, not only saving the lives of people being shot or killed or hurt, but saving the lives of the people they were asking to volunteer. They went up to gangbangers, people that felt like they had no other way mm -hmm. out except for drug dealing, prostitution, um, people, homeless folks, alcoholics, junkies, everyone. They went one by one and said, you know, help, let us help you change your life. And they took them out of the situations that they were in and trained them as EMTs. Wow. So a lot of these kids, they said they became, you know, addicted to saving lives. Yeah. And so they, they changed the lives with of the young people and old people within their community as well as saving the lives of the people in their own community. And slowly... <clears throat> Um, they got so much recognition wow. here and there. Like they were George Bush's 549th point of light on his 1,000 point, point right. of light initiative. And um, at one point, uh, Quentin Tarantino and Bill Cosby were going to make a movie about them. Sinbad was going to make a movie about them. Well, you know if Sinbad's going to make a yeah. movie. So now how did you get into like the, the writing? Cause well, this is the thing. I didn't think I was a writer. Yeah. So I thought I was going to give this to somebody. I was like, so <laughs> I got the that's best so like idea. Yeah. Okay. I, got, I was like, I got this amazing idea. I yeah. got to find a writer friend and give it to them because this is genius. Right. And no one's ever done, you know, an, um, a medical show, all minority, all diverse. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't logically happen. It wouldn't yeah. make sense. And this is like, you know, unless it was in another country. And um, this was so genius. It was so beautiful. It was so inspiring. And it was just like, it's an uplifting story. My God. And it's exactly what people in America need to see right now. Yeah. Heroes who are not wielding guns, because there's the hero that you know goes up and bam, 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 bam. superheroes yeah, yeah. are punching and kicking and shooting everybody. These are heroes within the, your own community stepping up yeah. and taking charge with love, yeah. saving lives. And and so I was like, this is so unbelievably important. And these people are still there in Brooklyn, still working. And then you're like, please, somebody else write it. Yes, please, yeah. someone write this. I'll step away. <laughs> right. So I approached a couple of people. And they were either busy with their own projects or just didn't write back. Right. It didn't resonate. <laughs> no. And maybe they never even looked at it. I don't know. They were just like, no, yeah. no, no. Yeah. And then I had this epiphany because I had met Charles Officer on the 11th hour. He and I hit it off right away. And then I remembered that he is a documentary filmmaker for the most part. And people that make documentaries, usually you go into doc documentary filmmaking because you have a gigantic heart and conscience mm -hmm. and you want to tell human stories 
that's a different kind of person than just being someone who thinks they're really good looking and wants to be in film and TV. Mm -hmm. It's this, the people that I want around this project had to be people that understood the spirit of it. Mm -hmm. It's not just about, Oh my God, we've got a hit. It's about the spirit of why you got to tell a story like this in America today, which I think is such a passionate thesis. And I, I can't, I can't imagine anybody else creating it other than you. Aww. Do you know what I mean? Like that, if you get it, gave it to somebody else, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't like encourage somebody to be as passionate to, as you are. Yeah. So and when you're talking different. about it, it means something to you. Yeah. yeah. And this is what so I, I tried to give it to Charles. Right. He literally, within five minutes, I sent him a clip of these guys and he called me back five minutes later and said, who are they? What, what is this? What's going on? This is amazing. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, um, you know, it, these guys, you can make a document documentary series about them, and, and no problem. They are so much footage, and they, they've kept everything. But I said, I feel like what needs to be on television today, scripted series, you need to see these stories. This story is really fucking important mm-hmm. for people that don't watch documentaries and don't, you know, it's not just a heart ripper. It's actually really inspiring. It's, it's the things that we all can do. We have the power within us to step up. Mm-hmm. Every one of us have that power. And this lets you know that doesn't matter how bad it is or where you live or mm-hmm. how poor you are or how much shit you're standing in, that you can get a towel, wipe your feet, and, and step out of it. Mm-hmm. And so Charles was like, no, you write it. I was like, no, Charles, relax. Like, come on. Who do you think you are? <laughs> you can't just tell me to write it. And he had read a movie that I had written a long time ago that I never tried to push farther because of fear. Sure. A personal, like, oh my God, I wrote this. It's personal. I showed it to a couple of people I trusted, Charles being one of them. He was so lovely about it, but I was, I never kind of pushed farther. And I know now in retrospect, it was fear based because I was like, oh, people don't like it. Well, of course. Um, but he's like, I read that script and I know you can write. You're going to write it and I'm going to help you. And I was like, okay, here I am talking about people stepping up. Here I go. Yeah. This is me stepping up and stepping into my greatness. Yeah. And so I wrote it with him mentoring me through. You're done. You're finished writing it. We're finished. Amazing. Not the whole series, but we've written the pilot. I've written the second episode. We've got all the pitch materials. And here we go. Right. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. We've got the whole season mapped out. Did you ever feel like you're, like, that must have been a scary road to walk. Terrifying. And now, how did you get through that? Definitely with Charles's encouragement. Yeah. Um, uh, Anytime I was having a freak out. He talked me off the ledge. Um, And knowing that I had them to read it as I went, so I didn't feel like Mm -hmm. I was in this cloud of like, is it good, is it not? Um, And he loved it. It, He loved all of it. And he loved the natural rawness, I think, of someone who Mm -hmm. is a new writer who has been through the shit too and who has experienced a lot of lives and people and can really translate the language easier than I think someone maybe just sitting in a writer's room going like, okay, how would these people talk? Like, Charles flew me to New York. I stayed with them. I got to know them really well. The man who who, who the the show is about, I own his life rights and he calls me daughter now. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and he has 17 children, so that's saying something. Right, (laughs) right. Um, So uh, Charles really, really helped me continue that confidence because he, you know, directs a lot and he reads a lot of scripts as well. And he kept reminding me too. He's like, Inga, think about how many series, how much television have you been on? Yeah. I've had practical experience, probably a lot more than some writers have just in their 
in their classrooms, which, you know, is, it was, I would love to do that route as well. I always never, do I say route or route? You said it both. I know. So I said good. both. Just cover it. <laughs> but I, I do believe that I have maybe a raw interpretation of language right. because I've lived around the kind of, I've been close with the kind of people I'm trying to speak yeah. for as yeah. a writer. Yeah, yeah. So, um, um, and I think Charles, he really appreciated that. So what he did, he did those. I felt like I had a private tutor. Yeah. He helped me with amazing. the structure. Oh my <laughs> That's one thing in California. It just got worse. Gard- like, I moved here. And in Toronto, it's like, if you have a gardener, you're rich. Yeah. You're like, like, you're like, oh, the gardener. And it's like a thing. And it's like, oh my God, she's a gardener and a pool man. Wednesdays. Yeah. He's really hot and buff. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing. This but the, has everyone been going on for this whole I interview, know. and I'm like, mm. I know we can't hold for the plane. Can't hold for the plane. Can't, can't hold, hold for the gardener. gardener. Um, so now, where are you? So you you've written it. You're pitching it next. Yes, we're pitching it next. That's amazing. We're ga- we're gathering because it's such a baby. It's like we are trying to put together our list of um, people we would love, who we would trust. Right. Like, because, like I said, the spirit of it and what they're saying, it's a message. Yeah. It's not just like, this is going to be a bunch of hot people. They will be hot. No, but I mean, th- this is not just about that. So we have to make sure that the people we approach with it um, can understand yeah. what we are trying to do as well. And mm. and it's going to be definitely, you know, it's groundbreaking. We have to find people that are willing to get on there and yeah. take risks. Like... Do you have an impatience with this project? Uh huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, just I know. So I know you a little impatience. bit, and I think like oh. you probably wanted to film it like yesterday, 100. last year. Yeah, I am so impatient, and I didn't know until I started doing this process that how I am so impatient, and yeah. I'm like, why does filming TV have to take so long? Yeah. And everyone tells me all these stories, like, yeah, when I got my show made, it took me this many yeah. years. I'm like, I don't want to hear. I don't want to know anything about any of that. Yeah, like it makes me so. Ugh, like it's my struggle. Yeah, that's my contrast is trying to deal with the being patient part. Yeah, giving people space to read it and like they read it and don't call me back the next day to not take that as oh no they hated it right like to go oh and is that like, the advice you give yourself? Like, yes, I have to talk myself down from that, and and it's good because Charles and I can now like now that it's written. And our relationship has changed to, to two producers. We do like talk each other off of mm-hmm. some of that kind of stuff because he's also extremely busy with a lot of other projects and documentary stuff and films, and he's just released a bunch, a bunch of amazing, amazing work. And um, so we're we're both in kind of different places, mm-hmm. but at the same time, this is at the forefront of our passion right now. And so it's hard when you're passionate about something not to get it made right away. Yeah. And I feel like it needs to be on TV, like like the day. Trump got into office, it should have been the next day. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's to remind yeah. people of what America's really about. Yeah. The America that I've seen. Yeah, I love that the Canadian is reminding America. Yeah. 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 Well, it's funny, you know, Hurricane Reuben Carter sat and rotted in that prison, and everyone thought after the hoopla in the 60s and Bob Dylan, all the songs, and everyone was, you know, trying to get him out, and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And then he just sat there, and everyone forgot about him. And this one little Toronto, you know, lawyer. Right. I was like, hmm, I wonder if he's still there. Yeah. And he was. Yeah. And like, you know, then it snowballed from there and getting him out. Then Denzel Washington, the movie, like, takes a little Canadian with a big dream. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have, like, 
I could I have so many we have to do like a second part because we've been chatting for so long but um I love it I don't want to stop talking we're so interesting we well you're (laughs) a story and I love also that you know we've known each other for so long but there's you have so many um so many aspects of you and so many levels of your life that I don't even know about it's you're such Mm a delightfully complicated world that you live in (laughs) in the best way so in the best way I make my life complicated I like complicated I get bored easy yeah easily Bad do you feel like do you feel like if you can find yourself in a boredom you throw in complications? oh my god yes like what do you do now if it's not drugs uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the best part of having kids because they keep it complicated yeah right Fuck, and their schedules are getting so crazy and the crazier their schedules get and it's funny like then my schedule gets crazy and and I like that and if I don't and I'm Gabe thinks this, my husband Gabe he's like a wonderful actor Gabriel Hogan <laughs> And he, uh, he says that I do make it complicated. If it gets too easy and there's like a good rhythm in the house, I throw in some more kids. That's right. when I'm always inviting other kids over. And we've got this little lovely girl who's like, she's always at our house every day and she's got no mom. And as soon as I heard she had no mom, Kate was like, Inga, yeah. she's with us almost every day. She's yeah. Still, yeah. And, and I just like to fill my life with people and children and I like I like to be busy. Mm-hmm. I've realized that when I was younger, I think a lot of young people feel like, oh, I always searching for enough sleep and lazing and lying around sometimes. Mm-hmm. And and I think I was like that for a while. I thought that's what I wanted, and then I realized, no, you know what? Busy's good. Mm-hmm. Crazy's good. So if you had advice for somebody in our industry, like like a like a young girl, like you were saying, there's sometimes you saw a young girl on set, and you'd sort of take them under your wing. What advice do you have? Hmm. Not to take it so seriously. Mm. Not to, um, to be open, to move through with kindness first. Um, I have met probably some of the greatest loves of my life through film and TV. 100%. Like, the, the industry can get a bad rap Actors can even say, oh, actors are the worst. Aren't they just so pretentious and all this stuff? And throughout that, yeah, there's a lot of that. But there are these gems. And unless you're open to it, you won't see them. And I just think that, you know, for young people to know that it's okay. It's not that big a deal. Mm -hmm. Be open and you'll find your gems. I like that. (laughs) I like it a lot. Yep. You're incredible. So are you. I can't wait to see this. What's the show called? The Do or Die. Fantastic. Yeah. Great title. Yeah. Um, so you're pitching. It's gonna, yeah. I know it's not coming out tomorrow, so I want you to know <laughs> that I also am impatient, but okay. it sounds fantastic. Thanks. And I'm excited for you in this new path of yours. Thank you. Because you're still so. acting. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, but it feels I'm still like for hire. Just <laughs> Inga Kadra, no. um, it feels like it's just feeding. Yes. So that you're not just waiting anymore, which I no, think is like No, that was so... the other thing. I wanted to start being a boss. Yeah. Boss lady. Yeah. It was time. Overdue. Overdue. Like yeah. you're, you have that skill within you. It's like fearful. You're... It was fear, fear-based not to step into it sooner. Yeah. I didn't think I had the, the, the chops to do or, or to trust how much information, how much I learned on set, how much I knew. And I'd sit and I'd talk with people and they'd be like, oh, do you direct and stuff too? And I'd be like, no. And just realizing how much I have 
and my arsenal, how much information I had, mm-hmm. and how much, uh, like, what a great classroom all my hours on set have been, mm-hmm. that I have walked away with enough to, to start and not to be afraid of that anymore, to step into my greatness. We all have that potential to step into our greatness, and, and everybody has different times that they feel like they're ready to do that, but yeah. it is there for every single human being, whatever facet it may be. I love that. Thanks, Inga. Thanks, Nate. It was so awesome to so hang with awesome. you. I can't wait. This is going to be such a inspiring thing for people to hear. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me here. Okay, so that was part one of Inga Kajanel and I speaking. And uh, this is what happens. And it happens all the time when we, we talk and then I push stop on the recording device. And then we start talking again. And it's fascinating. There's some sort of... St- there's some sort of story that comes up that's great. So um, I went back on. So I started recording again because that's what you do. So here's part two. We're talking about the challenges on set that Inga faced. And, uh, and then we also talk, of course, about what inspires her at the end. So part two of Inga Kajanel. That everyone else is an expert. Right. None of us are born experts. No. So everyone starts from somewhere. People who invent shit all the time or, you know, the J.K. Rowlings and stuff of yeah. the world. Like, but it's, it's having, like, a not, not blind confidence, but, like, when I started this podcast. A little bit. I didn't, I don't, yeah. I still don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. But I'm enjoying the p- process of learning. Yeah. And I'm okay to make mistakes. Yes. And I'm also okay to go, I don't really know what I'm doing yet. But, and that's right? wonderful. And that's honest and comforting for people to, right. to like, that you're talking to and stuff yeah. and know that you are doing, but you are, it's a little bit of blind confidence. It's like, well, yeah, I trust, just, I trust myself. Yeah. Like I trust my curiosity. Yep. And as we go deeper into these conversations, I'm sure I'll look back at like the early ones and be like, yikes, those yeah, are maybe. awful. But who knows? Who or knows? maybe, maybe not. I yeah. think it's a worthwhile thing to put out there. Yeah. I think, like, for me, starting, it took me a very long time to understand that I was allowed to say stuff. And so I... That seems so anti-you. I know. And I think it was more just, like, new actor. And then I really realized quickly that my um, um, my naivete and, like, being new started to translate to people as maybe being softer than I was on set. And then I had a lot of, like... Uh, sexual harassment yeah guys that were in power positions that really I think loved seeing that I was this very young fish out of water who was pretty confused and they preyed upon it and I went through that a lot in my in the beginning and I didn't know started like before rider time oh yeah oh yeah for sure and 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 I didn't know I was allowed to say something because they were bosses and they were like the people in charge and I felt like I was just like there to perform the service of acting and I didn't know that I actually could or had a voice. Yeah. And then I started to get stronger and stronger and more confident. And then and then I had a lot of guys being like the stronger my I was, my my characters kind of got stronger too. I started to play a lot of police officers and things. It was very funny, it like really changed. And then I always had people and producers and stuff a lot of them saying like, "Oh yeah, we should change you to to a lesbian." And I always thought it was offensive not obviously because it's a lesbian but because I was being strong right and they couldn't just see me being a strong woman on camera it had to go with something that had to label some kind of sexuality right and I was like why why do I have to 
change this character into a lesbian. And I, that happened more times than I can count when I play cops. Because I definitely would play them with a masculine quality on purpose. I wanted to, I always felt like the best roles were the ones the guys had. Right. And I always would hope and wish for a role like a guy had. And I always said, well, I'm just going to play it kind of like a guy would. And because and there are not enough of those women on camera. Yeah. Just out of, like, it was fun for me. I found them more interesting. And it would always turn to that conversation. Well, we should make her a lesbian. What? Was there a tipping point, though? Did you go, like, okay, that's enough? Do you remember a time that you I don't went- think I ever, like, I don't think I ever verbalized it in a way that I could have or right. should have or used it as an opportunity because at that point I always felt like, uh, oh, this is just this business is like that. Yeah. And it's always going to be like that until rules change. And I always just took comfort in the fact that I am putting a woman on camera who is kind of yeah. masculine and was a bit asexual. A lot of the stuff that I did as the cop stuff, it wasn't supposed to, like, I didn't want to play it making sure I had my best angles and oozing all this stuff like right. to the camera. I wasn't, I never asked what, what angle are you shooting? Do I look good? How's this or that? Like I just, anyone who knows me on set, I don't really ask those questions because I don't care because it doesn't feel like it services what I was doing. Mm. Um, and, and so no, I didn't, I didn't use that as an opportunity. I mean, I remember going home bummed about that quite a bit mm-hmm. being like, fuck what? Yeah. Just because I'm strong. Like, is this, are you serious? You can't yeah. see this woman as a strong woman and still be like, a heterosexual, like, attractive in that world. Yeah. Because she's so powerful. Like, I don't know. It bothered me. Yeah, I get but, it. But I yeah. definitely stopped being uh, such, like, a, a victim on set. Because I did get a lot of sexual harassment very young that I was like, I don't like this. Yeah. I don't like this at all. I have to change my was, energy. Yeah, and that and is that what you, did, like, consciously yeah. did? Yeah, I consciously changed my energy when I approached set after that. When I was really, really In young. what way? Um, I wasn't... Oh, God. And this sounds awful because this even is sexist to say, like, bitchy. Like, I don't want to use that term, but I definitely wasn't as... Um, I, I tried not to seem vulnerable mm. or naive. And when I walk on, I tried to seem a little more cold. And it sucks that I had to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's I not did, you. not me. And that I had to change that energy... And, and yeah, it intimidated some guys, but I found my experience better when it did. Have you balanced it out now? Yes. And, um, yes, I definitely have balanced it out. Now I'm just more myself. I just have a natural confidence to myself now. And, um, (laughs) yeah, but, but it's funny because I think like I just did, I did something here. I shot in LA and. And I had this really great day on set, and I was like being myself. Yeah, and I was so proud, yeah. and I was like calling my husband. I'm like, this is the best day ever, and it's so much fun. The the, the leading um, guy and stuff like that was was so great. And we talked all day, and the the crew kept saying he hates everyone. He hates everyone. I cannot believe you're like you know penetrated this ice guy, yeah. icy guy, and you're so that's so cool. And you know, I was like I had this great day, and I was so proud of myself, and I didn't compromise anything. And then like I and he's like, let's change exchange numbers. I'm like, yeah, man, God, <laughs> this guy is like best friend. Yeah, and yeah. I'm the one, the only one who like ever cracked that shell. And then on the way home, I'm driving, and I start he starts sexting me. No. Yep. And I was like. Fuck right away off. too. Come on, right away. <laughs> and I was so bummed. Yeah. And I, I don't think guys realize. Like I really got bummed. Yeah. I was like, Are you serious? That's the only reason that you were like talking to me all day. And honestly, people were surprised. Like genuinely surprised. They're like, Isn't that to anybody? Hates everybody. Wow, that's cool. And I felt like, Yeah, that is cool because I thought it was just me as a person. Yeah. 
Because you were like yourself. I was myself. We were yeah. talking about sports the whole time and our kids. Super and stuff. sexy, Inga. Yeah. You can't do that and not expect some sexting. You can't. <laughs> so again, I was disappointed, yeah. but it's all right. It's life. I can handle it now. But I, you know, I was at the same time. I was, I was disappointed, sure. but, I, but I wasn't like how I was when I was younger and just felt more like. You take um, it personally. When yeah, you're I took it personally, and I and I kind of would feel embarrassed a bit when I was younger. Like maybe I had done something and I was questioning everything I was doing yeah. and acting like. Was I putting something out that I didn't? They shouldn't have. Yeah. And now I just like, fuck that. It's just yeah. a fucking pervert. <laughs> <laughs> What's the thing that's inspired <laughs> you lately? Um, lately? Well, um, I love uh, what Baz Luhrmann's doing on The Get Down. Yeah. Um, I love it because uh, I love that he marries the old footage of New York City. Yeah. And the music and the style. I mean, I know it's very... It's also like what the show I'm doing is it takes place in the 80s, so it's a little bit later. So it's yeah. also why I'm really jazzed by what he's doing and what he's like cinematically. Um, uh, as far as um, God, I'm just trying to remember the book I just read and I cannot remember the name for the life of me. It was just about California and people's stories here. Oh. It was the guy that wrote A Million t- Little Pieces. Okay, I'll look it up. And he, I just really loved the facts about California. It was a lot of L.A. things and, and being a newly new transplant here, it just fascinated me. But um, musically, I'm always, I still, I'm still just, um, I listen to Bob Marley. Yeah. And I have since I was. I know. Very little. You yeah. remember my room? Yeah. It was like covered posters. Totally. Everything. And I still do. When I'm lost or when I'm feeling um, dissatisfied or depressed, sad, anything, when I'm going through something, the words are just so clear, precise, simple, and poignant mm. and really poetic. break down. Yeah, yeah. And poetic. And they really break down humanity and society for me. And it always, I always, I feel like I need to get a hit of it yeah. to really... Yeah, it's my church. Like it's what yeah. I yeah. always felt like. It's my, um, it's like it's where I feel like my prayer is. Um, do you struggle with uh, getting the blues? Yeah, and I think only because our industry is full of so many highs and lows. Yeah, but the extreme highs can be so high. So then um, to try to remember, it's been harder here only because back home I'm distracted with more family and people mm-hmm. and community. And when you move away, you're starting fresh. So you just have less people around you to distract you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like just having more quiet time is hard for me because I like to, like I said before, I like to be busy, busy, mm-hmm. busy. Mm-hmm. And and the quiet is something I struggle with. So I know that that's my challenge that I have to start to learn to be comfortable with. To yeah. not be sad, to not be bummed if there's a lot of quiet and to enjoy it. And that's my struggle for sure. Yeah. I think a lot of people in our business struggle with that. Yeah, it's not easy. No, it's not There's, easy. It's easy to fill your head up with noise, right? Mm-hmm. And then when it's quiet, you're feeling like you're you're vacant a bit. So. It's when social media screams at oh. me. All of a sudden, when when it's quiet, social media becomes like it's yelling in Awful. your face, and that is such a weird, unnatural human experience. This this new phenomenon of social media that it's so unnatural for us to know every little thing everyone is doing at all times mm-hmm. that it's, it makes your head noisy. So then in quiet, you're not doing the thing you should be doing is enjoying 
the quiet and the peace and just being there with that moment. Yeah, and that regrouping. Hummingbird outside your window and enjoying that for what it is in the in this time. Yeah, and regrouping. Yeah. I feel like then it's easy to just pick things up and phones and computers and and look, and then it becomes noisy with what useless noise. And that's unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And that starts to mess with people's mind and messes with my mind. I'm, I'm sensitive. I'm susceptible. I'm an actor. We're all actors. We're supposed to stay open. Mm-hmm. Our personalities and our emotions are supposed to stay open. So to, to, to buffer yourself from all that noise can be difficult when our whole careers are based on being open mm-hmm. to, and sensitive. Mm-hmm. So, so I find that that is like, that's a struggle. Like I don't, I still am learning how to balance that. Sorry, That's okay. There's a giant dog. I um, needed help off the couch. All right, buddy? Yeah. Oh, he wanted to see me. That's why. Yeah, that's the balance, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rufus. does Rufus, he goes on Facebook way too much. That's yeah, what he, was no, he was like screaming yeah. about social media. Can I hear you, buddy? Here, yeah. <laughs> And that's Inga. I am such a fan of this gal. I am. I just, I think she can do anything. And I think she's doing such great things. Follow her on Twitter at Inga Cadronel. Uh, find out what uh, charities she's supporting because she posts stuff there um, regarding that. And also find out more about Do or Die because I think that project's going to be just going to be kick ass. I'm really excited that she's working on something like that. And you can see, like, she starts talking about projects you know, that she's creating and her eyes just light up. And she's a passionate woman anyway, but I love when people speak about something that um, they're creating because you can tell they're, I don't know, there's some sort of like vibration. So what are you guys doing right now? Why not go start something? Here's the thing. Every project I've ever started, started with a coffee with somebody or started with an email saying, hey, you want to work on this? So just make a step. Watch a video of how to do bloody blah, blah or r- grab a book on where to start when you want to be a buddy better. So which are two which are two things I'm working on right now? I'm working on a book and a um, video on buddy blah. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow us at Firecracker Department. That's on Twitter and Instagram where we post po- pictures of um, our guests. And, uh, of course, Facebook and our website. Love to hear what you think of this podcast. Maybe something really charged you about what Inga said or maybe something really uh, inspired you to to get cracked on something of your own. Let me know what you're thinking about. Thank you again and again for all the support. Thanks to the folks at Grayson Matthews, especially Sebastian, who edits all these. He's an amazing guy. And also, of course, Carousel Pictures, who helps make this happen every week. Every week, you guys. Every Wednesday, we are here. Come on and hear some firecrackers talk. Go on out there, guys. Get inspired, be inspiring, and then uh, loop me back in and let me know what you're working on. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.